hey, I just want to let you know that we've had some technical issues on this episode, so the quality is not as good as it usually is. Please excuse that, and we'll do our best to make sure it doesn't happen again at the future. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you, and I hope you get a lot of value from this episode. Welcome to the 59th episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today's guest is Matthew Higgins. Matthew is a human resources and recruitment professional with over 15 years of experience. He got his start as a waiter. He wanted to ease the burden on his mom, so he got a job to help out. From early on, he realized that people made the biggest difference. He became a manager at IHOP and trained all the incoming staff. He treated people well, and they treated him well too. He leveraged his experience to get better jobs. However, he made a big mistake. He got greedy and stole money from his company. He had to serve time. He started again from waiting tables at the place that he got his start from. He turned his life around. He's a big advocate for people. He knows how to look for the good in people. Listen to this episode to learn about his journey. Visit nodegree.com to start yours. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, today I have Matthew Higgins on the podcast. Matthew, can you tell the audience what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I work, I've worked in the human resources world for, I hate to say this, but close to 25 years. If I'm aging myself a little bit, um, I predominantly heavily work in the recruiting sector, talent optimization. I also am a certified resume writer on the side. I work pretty much predominantly with entry-level people or folks who work in industries that are more service-driven, restaurant, retail, that sort of field. What do you do day-to-day? So that's like your title. So what does a person like you do? What What does that entail? Yeah, absolutely. So my big thing is matching the right people into the right position, right? So one of the biggest things that I am an advocate for is a lot of times people don't realize how transferable their skills are. And I I, I do this because I was one of those people, right? I thought, oh, there's no way, you know, with my background, I'd ever do this kind of work. And helping people realize the potential of what they do in a position, you know, so often like, oh, this isn't really fulfilling. It's just kind of what I do, right? And so my goal is to help not only people realize what skills they have, but also organizations, help organizations realize, hey, you're, you might be passing up on some of these people, but the reality is they're really everything you're looking for. They just never held that title, right? They never held this job title. So I try not to get caught up too much in, you know, people's titles, including my own. Um, my actual technical title is human resources generalist, which generalist can mean anything you want. Yeah, it, means, it means so much. Yeah, exactly. So I really say my role in the working world is helping people figure out what it is they want to do and helping companies figure out who it is they need to do what they want done, right? Yeah, and I think you said something very important. I have a friend who's a resume writer, and it's always position your talent over your title, right? And I think a lot of people just think like, hey, I only did this title. But titles mean different things in different industries, different companies. So if you know what you bring to the table, the title means a lot less, right? Just because you're not a manager, you could still be leading a team. You could still be training. You could still be doing a lot of managerial things despite not having the title. So you don't have a degree. And in general, human resources is like, it's tough to get in, right? There's a stigma. What you, let's take it back. What'd you want to be in high school and how was high school like for you? Oh gosh. So, um, so we can even go back even a little before then, right? So in grade school, my, so my biological father died when I was very young. I knew right off the bat that, you know, having a single mom trying to support all of us kids, I had to do something, right? I always knew I wanted to work with people. Which was really weird because I had like no friends. Yeah. <laughs> up, like, Why? You seem like a cool person. Yeah, I was I was really an outcast. I was really not very well liked. Um, but so I got a job actually in fourth grade tutoring other kids. My school, we were in two schools in two different classes, either bilingual Spanish 
or not, right? Because I lived in a very heavily populated area where majority of people spoke Spanish. I worked as a tutor, tutoring some of the kids, helping them learn to read English, translate over a lot of things. We, we were very blessed. I was obligated to learn basic conversational Spanish in first grade. It was required for all students in school, so I lucked out. So I knew I really wanted to work through I loved writing, and I thought, man, is there a way I could do this? But as time progressed, I wound up getting a job in high school uh, in a little mom-and-pop family-owned diner at um, we'll, we'll say 15. Wait, can I stop you? Yeah. How much does a fourth grade tutor earn? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to tutor, okay. but what are the rates going for fourth grade tutors? I have to disclose ahead of time. This was in the late 80s. So yeah. if we can, um, so I would tutor kids for an hour after school for $10. That's a um, lot for a fourth grade. That's even a lot now. Like for a fourth grade, $10 is real money. Yeah, so it and I, you know, was that total sappy kid who was like, Here, Ma, buy some groceries for us because I know we can't really afford this. So that's kind of what I did. But so, yeah, so then in, I was actually, I think, 13 or 14 when I started busting tables at this restaurant and eventually worked up to waiting tables once I started my sophomore year of high school. But I knew, I'm like, Man, the restaurant business is where it's at. That's where I want to be. I loved it. It was such a great experience. Got the best of both worlds, right? I got to work with people, really making impact on their days. And the money was great. For a high school kid to be able to, you know, pay cash for his first car at 16, it was good for me to be able to kind of realize that, hey, I've got, I know that I've got to be able to pay my own bills here pretty soon. Um, I moved out on my own when I was 17. So I thought I'm probably going to stay in the restaurant business the rest of my life. This is what I'm going to do. High school was not an optimal time for me. Um, My work was my priority because I knew that I had to take care of myself. I was told, you know, during, you know, planning my classes out, my counselor told me, kids like you were suited for the co-op work program. Don't worry about the SETs. Don't worry about the ACTs you need to be in the work program because it's a nice way of saying, right, you're not going to amount to anything. My high school dean said to me, I think it was like the third week of my sophomore year, do us all a favor and just drop out because I had to, you know, I would have to work and that was my priority, right? So he said, just do us all a favor and drop out now so we don't have to worry about it. Thankfully, my boss at the time, the restaurant that I worked at was absolutely amazing and she told me, Matthew, if you drop out, your name's not going to be on the schedule next week. I don't care. She's like, you are finishing school. I was what I like to call an A&F student. Um, if it was, right? So there were classes that I loved it with teachers who actually got it and knew how to teach students. And I would be, you know, the top performer in their class if it was a teacher that I had no use for. I basically stopped showing up to the class and bailed out, right? So kind of shaped for me that I'm probably going to be waiting tables or working in the service industry the rest of my life. I was one of maybe 10 kids who didn't go to my high school graduation, never went to my prom, never went to any of that. Work was just my priority at that point. College was definitely not going to be happening. What skills did you learn Because you sort of had to, right? Not because, hey, I want to save up some extra money. It was like, hey, I really need to support myself. I need to support my family. What kind of skills did you learn that you still sort of use to this day? The number one thing that I learned was how to communicate, right? So waiting to, I tell everybody, man, if you want to learn how to talk to people, go wait tables for three months. You have to be able to tailor your message to all walks of life. It taught me a lot about communicating. It taught me a lot about presentation, there's sales skills involved in there, right? Because the more you sell the people, the bigger the check, the bigger your tip, right? It, it all kind of speaks that way. The other big thing it really taught me a lot about was diversity, working with different people, which was kind of my catalyst, uh, what drove me to want to do something different, right? Seeing the working conditions, how differentiated they were for people who had, you know, service level jobs, people who maybe this was not going to be something too great for them. 
it made me kind of realize I want to do something more with this. And what it really taught me was a lot about how to prioritize for yourself and how to advocate for yourself. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something more than just wait tables. I just didn't think I could. I thought this is what I'm going to do. You know, I college is not happening, right? It's off the table for me. Um, I've got, I've got a rent to pay. I've got, you know, electric, you know, gas, all this stuff. It's just not going to happen for me. So what it really kind of instilled in me was that, all right, if I'm going to do something, I've got to do it for myself. I started talking to my boss and said, you know, I've got to do something to do more than this. I, I know that I'm meant to help people progress, but I have to start with myself. And so I wound up taking a job as well as a service manager for IHOP. It's a name everybody knows, right? So the franchisee who I worked for, he had like 25 stores in Chicagoland and then Wisconsin and Indiana. And pretty much all the stores were run by the GMs who were kitchen back of the house people. They didn't have people skills, right? They didn't want to talk to people. If someone came in, applied for a job, fill out a paper application, all right, you're starting Monday, here you go. And our turnover was insane. I mean, I remember seeing 105% turnover. Wow. Wait, what does 105%, what does percent turnover even mean? Like, can you break it down? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So what that is, is as far as the people who you bring on board, how many of them you retain and whatever you're looking at. So this could be, you know, over uh, three months, you know, quarterly, could be annually, whatever the case is. How many of them retain on? How many new people you have to bring on? And we had a new store that opened that actually lost more people than we kept, resulting in 105% turnover. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, so I was very upfront, and I kind of just told them, you know, because your hiring practices suck, right? <laughs> I and mean, you guys just don't bother to do anything. So we said, all right, help us out. So I took over the interviewing process, the hiring, the onboarding, the training piece for all of his stores, to kind of get us some people, you know, say, hey, here's what you've got to look for. It's not just about somebody who comes in and, oh, yeah, is, you know, looks the part or writes well, right? I love telling this story. This is one of my favorite highlights ever. So one of the stores I worked with, which was in the Chicago suburbs, had a really big problem with, especially night shift. You kind of keep night shift. A mile down the road, maybe even less than that there was a women's work release center, right? These were women who had been in prison and were, you know, transitioning back into society. I hired someone from there. She was the best worker I ever remember having. She would come in on time, stay, do the work, earn her money, earn her place. And I said to her, I said, Tammy, you know, this is, this is the kind of people I'm looking for. Something really stuck with me because it rang true for me. I had nothing else to lose. I treat this job like it is my life because it is right now. It's what's getting me back to what I need, which is to be with my family, to turn my life around and not go back into the system. I thought, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And I want to do it for myself too. So it kind of taught me that, all right, if this is going to happen, something inside me has got to push myself to do this because I tried applying for positions. I tried you know, getting my resume out there, but people see, you know, high school diploma, forget it. That's not happening. They're just not interested. They also would see restaurant, you know, and that's it. They don't see the function that I'm serving in that role. They just see restaurant like this guy is a, a restaurant worker. I was able to finally get my foot in the door with Target, another well-known company, working at the store level initially and Again, it was kind of the same thing. This was a newer store that I started at. It had a lot of turnover, a lot of problems, a lot of really unhappy workers. So what I would do is I would start sitting down and talking with them, you know, saying, what's going on? Why are you not showing up? Why are you coming in late? Why are you, you know, and they just basically, you know, flat out say that nobody else cares if we're here. Why should I? I'm like, oh, that's a problem. That's a problem. You know, when our executive team won't acknowledge you walking down an aisle, that's a problem for me. There's something that really inherently bothers me about people who see themselves superior to others, right? I got a little confrontational, right? I was not 
it was a very tough situation for me and the executive team. They liked me because they saw the results I was producing, but they didn't like the fact that I called them out and I would get very confrontational with them. And I remember we had a lot of executives in that store who were newer. You know, this was a new store, um, a lot of younger individuals. And so I would say, hey, here's why this is working. And it was the same thing. Mm, well, I just graduated from college, so I think I know what I'm doing. No, you're losing people. You Clearly, something's broken here. They would fight with me because I would alter people's schedules. Well, you can't just give people the schedule they want. And I tell them, why not? Guess what? They're showing up every day. They're showing up on time for their shifts. I don't have people calling out sick. And they're productive because they're happy. Doing something simple like, hey, you know what? Someone's got to get their kids to school. Can you have me start at 9 a.m. instead of 8 a.m.? And I'm going to have them come in happy and productive. Why wouldn't I do that? You know, why would you not go that little step? So I, I remember distinctly for about an hour on a Monday morning. So we have, you know, the entryway to the store and there's a little vestibule area. And I told my store manager, I'm not going to do this with you. If you're not going to run a store the way it needs to be run, there's no point in me being here. And I left, I handed my keys and started walking out. He chased me out. No, Matthew, you can't do this. You know, we need to talk about this. And I said, okay, if we're going to talk, we're going to talk right here, right now. It was not pretty. And I'm probably not, you know, looking back, not proud. I probably didn't handle it the correct way by doing it right in the middle of the vestibules where customers are coming in. But I basically told them, if you want people to come in and stay employed here, you need to treat people like humans. You need to realize that these are not an employee number. These are people that are going to come in and represent your store. At the end of the day, your customers, they don't know the store managers. They don't know who your executive team is, and they don't care. It's our job to make sure the frontline people are happy and productive. And things we can do for that, listen to them. If they're saying, hey, you know what? It's really difficult for me to get here at this time. Can we push my start time back 30 minutes? Let's do it. If I see someone who is, you know, doing the minimum, maybe they're bored. Hey, you know what? Cashiering, I get it. I wouldn't want to stand, you know, and check people out for six hours. How would you feel about learning the photo lab? You know, how would you feel about working? There's a Starbucks in the store. Do you, would you want to work there? Guess what? It's a dollar an hour more, too, in that department. You know, knowing your people's strengths and saying, you know what? This person is not just a poor performer. That's not the right fit for them. You know, they shouldn't be a cashier. They're great. You know, they make recommendations. Let's move them back to the electronics where it's something they enjoy doing and they're going to make sales for us. Realize that someone who might not be strongest in a certain position doesn't mean they're a poor performer or a poor employee. You just got them in the wrong spot. You're not taking advantage of their talents. How'd you go about learning the things you did? Because, you know, you didn't have the, like, was books from others, mentors? What was your process for learning these things? I learned it from the people I was dealing with. I learned it from talking to my team. I Same thing I learned at IHOP. I learned by actually talking to the staff, talking to the people and saying, what's making you shine the way you are? Or what's what's going on here? Because I can tell you don't enjoy what you're doing. And I listen to them. It's an art that's lost. It's really an art that's lost is listening to your team or listening to your coworkers, right? And especially in HR. Unfortunately, HR is really in a position where a lot of folks are out to protect the business and the business first. And they put their people second. And I never did that. I would learn trends and I would learn about the way people operate by listening to them because they know better what's working for them and what's not. I could go to a million seminars. I could follow a million different mentors. I could sit in a classroom for four years and be hundred K in debt. None of that is going to teach me what the people who are experiencing it day in, day out are. I know the common employee experience is like, they're not happy and then companies having issues and they always bring an outside consultant and then you know they're like you could have just asked me straight right and it's something that's really lost and it's kind of sad what i found is that a lot of them 
don't want to. They don't want to know. It, for them, it's easier, which we won't even get into why on a cost factor alone, it's not <laughs> simpler, but, but they don't want to deal with employee morale. It's something that is not their concern and they would much rather just bring somebody on who can deal with it, send them a report and say, all right, here you go and say, check, all right, we did it. We figured out what was wrong with our employees, but now we don't do anything about it because we say, well, we tried, but you didn't. Their definition of trying just doesn't correlate with what I think it should be. And, and that's the thing, you know, taking time away from the sales or the client relationships or anything like that is bothersome to most people in that type of role. And for me, it's, that's what I love. It's what I love. I love talking to people. I love learning about their experiences because it's what I do for myself. I had to sit down and talk to myself and say, what do I want to do? What is it I want to make me happy? And that's what I finally started doing with my teams. I started saying, you guys are going to know better than I am. I mean, I could sit here and make suggestions. I could write out, you know, uh, a development plan for you to say, hey, here's what I think you should do, but talk to me. You're going to know better. So what that did was really kind of boost some confidence in myself and say, you know what, this is something that I think I can do and I think I can do well. And then if I can slightly shift gears... Unfortunately, um, so I wound up moving up, you know, and, and starting to do really well with Target. And one thing I had to learn a very hard way, and it's going to lead into this story, more money does not equate to happiness. And this was my, you know, my fall from grace and my, you know, come to Jesus moment, if you will, whatever you want to call it. I started living a much better lifestyle than I had ever lived. Right. And I didn't know what to do with it. I will openly admit this here. It's public record. I don't, you know, I don't hide it. it it's nothing that um, I wound up stealing a lot of money from my employer. A lot. And riding the high off of it um, to support a lifestyle that I had thought I'd built for myself. And unfortunately, I equated success with money and got away from what what really drove me in the first place to get that promotion, to get that position was my love of helping people see the best in them. And in doing that, I stopped seeing the best of myself. And I started seeing what the money could do for me, what the title could do for me. I wound up going to prison. Um, I spent 15 months or so and came out pretty broken. Um, I spent my 30th birthday in there. Um, it, it was just a very humbling experience. And it really kind of made me realize when I got out, I wanted to be angry at everybody. I wanted to be like, you know, it was my lot in life. I had to strung up, but it wasn't. It wasn't. I pushed myself and I didn't know what to do with success, quote unquote success, right? With what the good life looked like. I didn't know what to do with it. So when I got out, two things really kind of hit for me. Number one, obviously, that's it. I, I'm never going to be able to do anything again. You know, not only do I strike one, not a college degree or an education. Now I have this on top of it, you know, and I have a criminal record. That's it. My, the odds of me being able to do anything to help anyone are just done. So I went back to the family restaurant that I worked at, you know, all through, you know, for seven, eight years through my teens and early twenties, got a job waiting tables back there again and thought, you know what, I got to support myself. I've got to, that part hasn't changed, right? You know, you walk out and I now at this point have, you know, I lost my house, um, lost my job, obviously I, I, I got to start somewhere. So I did. And it was incredible because it lit something in me to say, you know what, what you originally started doing was seeing people's skills from more than what they were on paper and who they were and helping them to shine based on who they were and what they presented in real life. 
And I built up really good relationships again with customers of mine, people who had watched me grow up. You know, they saw me at 14 and were now seeing me in my early 30s. I'm like, what are you doing back here? And seeing those relationships just kick back in, I thought, this is it. You're still the same person. Just because you have these X's against you and the strikes against you doesn't change the fact that you still have the same insights you have. You still have the same ability to talk to people. So do that. Utilize those skills and make something for yourself. So that's exactly what I did. I wound up relocating here to South Florida for different reasons. Um, I want to, you know, getting married and you know, meeting my love of life, the love of my life who lived down here, right? So I'm like, all right, this is your chance. You get a fresh start, start new. And so I did. I applied for a job with a startup tech company and the CEO called me and he said, dude, I got to be honest with you, your resume sucks. It's like, but you did something that nobody else did. He's like, I'm going through a pile of resumes here. You were the only person who wrote a cover letter addressed to me personally, to my name. You were the only person who did that. He said, I'm going to take a chance. They come in, meet face to face. He's like, and I shouldn't be saying this, but really show up. He's like, because... I don't want to hire anybody else. I have to interview. It's like, but I don't want to hire anybody else. So really show up for your interview. And that hit with me. I said, you know what? This is what we talked about. This is you presenting yourself for what you can bring. Not what title you have, not what degree you have, not what your past was, but what you as a person can bring. And that kind of shifted now to where I preach authenticity. Show up who you are. And to show and acknowledge everything, acknowledge that, you know what? Yeah, I was, I was waiting tables in my early thirties, but you know what? I did that because I loved what I did. It worked at that time in my life for me. I got to talk with people every day and make an impact and see an impact I made on their lives every day. And it worked. He hired me. He took a chance on me. You know, this was, I'd never had a, you know, office job before. It was devastating because five months after I started there, the operation changed and we, we worked under Amazon and Amazon changed the terms of services and my department no longer had a function. I was out of a job and it crushed me. It absolutely crushed me. And I said, all right, this is painful, but this is gives me that little piece of confidence to say, you know what? I did that when I, by all rights, should not have. So I went out, started applying, started updating my resume and really focusing on that saying, you know what, you're not going to win any favors by having a resume that says waited tables, worked in a restaurant, worked for Target. So I switched over to something I call, you know, it's known as a functional resume, right? It it highlights your accomplishments and your skill set as opposed to your work history because my work history was not glamorous. Um, it really pushed what I could do. And I knew if I could get that piece of paper to catch their eyes, I knew I could sell myself in person. I knew that I could give the presence that they wanted to show that this is a guy who is going to invest in us as much as we invest in him. So show up, you know, that's what I tell people, show them that without a degree with criminal background with whatever it is, whatever it is you're doing, what you want to do in your life, just show up and acknowledge what you can and can't do. Because if you go in for a job where you feel like you can do everything that they are asking you to do, it's not going to be a good match for either of you, right? Because you're not going to gain anything from them. You're not going to grow your own skill set. And they're certainly going to think one of two things, right? They're going to think that this person really, we don't want to invest in them because there's going to be no return on this or else they're going to see that awful word that I hate overqualified. And I hate that word with, with a dying passion, but that's not a conversation for this platform. So I took a chance, got a temp job with a company working with their HR information system as they were transitioning over to it. So it was an administrative position, right? Helping them clean up some of their files, make sure everything transferred over. So it was really, to be a six week contract and they loved the work that I did. They created a position, asked me, you know, would you be interested in an administrative position with us? It's nothing exciting, but we really like you. We'd like to bring you on. 
awesome, great. I mean, here's a company that is taking a chance to me and it's giving me a little more exposure to what I want to do. Well, I still knew that a degree was not going to happen for me. So I took the practical knowledge that I had in my skill set and I started looking into what can I do to help myself? There's tons of certifications out there. And I realized, you know what, if I'm going to do something, let me show that I have the drive to do this. The first certification I went after was from the Human Resources Certification Institute. When I signed up to take the exam, it had a 46% pass rate. A 46% pass rate. And this is typically for people who've been working in HR for years. A little discouraging, but I went and I said, you know what, I know I can do this. I know this is what I love. And I nailed it. The HR manager at the company I was working for at the time took the exam three months before me and failed. This is the company's HR manager. And here I am, little lowly administrative position. And I went and nailed it. And I passed. And I said, this isn't a testament to myself that this is something I believe in. And I can't let anyone else define what's going to make me confident. And I can't say that, oh, people are going to say you're successful if you have this title of, you know, executive director or, you know, VP or HR manager, whatever. None of those things matter. My salary is not what's going to define me anymore. What's going to define me is what I believe I can do. And that's what kind of pushed me into helping with the resume writing for people who feel like they're stuck in an entry level or a dead end position. I typically won't charge for resume writing services for those people. It's something that I want to do to help them have a chance the way that I had a chance to better my life, you know, and and to turn things around. That's one of the things that I really preach is that, you know, I want to make sure that people have the same chance that I did. So I offer the resume services. I don't charge to compile a resume for people who are in either entry level or are switching careers or have something that they think might be holding them back, you know, that no degree or, you know, a criminal background. I don't want to charge you to have to see in yourself what society tells you you're not supposed to see or you're not supposed to believe. So this is my way to kind of give back to people and say, hey, you know what? I was very blessed to have the rude awakening. I tell everybody, you know, going to prison was one of the best things that happened to me because it helped me to say, all right, everything's against me now. College is not an option. I know this. So the only thing left for me to do is do it myself. And that's really hard to do. I don't want anyone else to have to feel like they have to do it on their own. So I'm here to support people the best way I know how. And if it's doing some of that, if it's giving you a sounding board to say, you know what, my management sucks. You know, my job sucks. What can I do? Talk to me about it. Tell me what it is that makes you tick. And we're going to find something together to progress you forward and define your own success. No, I mean, thank you for that because like I've done a lot of resumes for free and then sometimes it's even spending 10 minutes with someone, it makes a big difference because people make, it's typically the same mistakes over and over again. It's simply, they don't know, right? It's not because they're not smart or they don't know their jobs. In fact, I find a lot of executives have resumes that are lacking because they kind of get their jobs through word of mouth or their titles and they just think, but they miss out on a lot of opportunities. So I've, I've seen people like once they do their resume, it opens up a lot of doors and you know, now people are more comfortable taking the chance because you're presenting yourself pretty well. So you did all these things, right? Now you know how to write resumes, right? You kind of learned how to write resumes. You got that exam pass. Were things a lot easier when you were looking for other jobs? It definitely helped, right? So getting a couple of certifications definitely helped. But what it really did is it solidified my selection of what I wanted for jobs, right? Because before it used to be, I felt so desperate. I felt like I'm not going to amount to anything. I would apply to anything and take jobs that really didn't align with what meant something to me or an organization that treated their people terribly. But I would take it because I'm like, I have to do something to prove myself. And it really taught me to 
be selective, you know, and not just be what I call the chronic clickers. <laughs> now it's people who will just apply to any job, you know, oh, I live in this area or oh, I want to make this money or, you know, be selective. And, and that's going to make a big difference because going to an organization because you think, oh, this is a job title that will look good or this is a salary that I want. But if you're miserable day in, day out, either you're going to wind up leaving in three months or you're going to spend three years just angry and resentful every day. So the thing that I preach and the thing that I feel like I've learned is to how to do a little more homework. Because if you can take stock and realize what it is that you want and what drives you and what makes you tick, you'll be able to find a company that's going to do that for you. So you've been in this industry, right? You have a lot of experience. How has the industry changed over time? I think one of the big things is that two big pieces, and I'm going to talk about one that's a little more important to me, um, is that HR is realizing that it can't be just about the business anymore. Employees are not going to sit by anymore. Employee loyalty is not what it used to be. You know, growing up when I was a kid, you know, watching, you know, you went into a company and you stayed there for 25 years, you worked way up and you retired. Now, you know, as the new generations come in, they don't, they don't have that obligation or that loyalty to stay with the company. They're going to go where they're treated well, where they're valued. And so HR really has to take into account that, you know, what we need to take employee feedback a lot more seriously, um, utilizing things like engagement surveys, um, exit interviews are a big thing that I push, you know, find out what you can do to drive that change and push back on management, push back on your executive team and say, Hey, you know what? This is not working. We're talking to our people. They're not going to stay. Right. So being able to challenge upwards is a huge, huge thing that HR needs to continue to do and feel comfortable going to upper management saying something's got to give here because, you know, the, old ways of doing things aren't going to cut it anymore. And the other piece of it is technology, obviously, which is making a big difference. And, you know, not my strong suit, not my area that I can speak too much into, but obviously that's going to really make a big difference as far as the work conditions for a lot of people and being able to acknowledge and respect that a lot of processes aren't going to require the human piece as much because a lot of things can become automated. So how are you going to make sure that you're still engaging your people and making sure that they're enjoying their work, comfortable with their work, and able to do it with the tools at their disposal? What advice would you have for someone without a degree who's trying to break into the human resources field? Yeah, great. So two things I would tell them first and foremost is get up to date. Um, join a local organization. You know, if your community has a local SHRM chapter, if you have a company nearby that will offer you an internship, learn what you can that's going on in your community, if that's where you want to work or whatever industry. You know, if you're really passionate about HR and healthcare, if you're really passionate about HR in, you know, hospitality, whatever it is, learn the relevant topics that are going on to the industry. And the other big thing that you can do is if you really want to break into HR, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Get a full understanding of advocating for employees and best thing I can recommend doing for you is to advocate for yourself. Have the confidence to go in, reach out to somebody and say, Hey, you know what? I want to learn. I see great things that your organization is doing. Here's what I can contribute towards that mission. Or here's some things that I can offer. Because if you're not willing and comfortable to go out and reach out to that CHRO or the VP of HR, whatever the case may be, you're not going to be able to drive change in that organization. HR is a very, very, um, it's a very touchy subject right now for a lot of people because so often they feel like they're meant to uphold policies of an organization. And for me, HR needs to be the one to break down those policies and say, this is not working. So if that's something that you feel like you can be comfortable doing, reach out an organization that you see either is doing great things or reach out to one that you see is a little broken and offer them some feedback. 
worst case scenario is they're going to say, eh, what is this person talking about? No, thank you. And you know what you realize? You dodged a bullet because it's not an organization you want to work for. It's not willing to hear out outsider feedback. If you were 18 again, what route would you take? Like, how would you go about? <sighs> I tell you what, I know myself long to know that college was probably never going to be my route. What I would do is I would open my ears a lot earlier. I would have been much more open to hearing the stories of those around me to figure out what would work for me and what wouldn't. At 18, we're not meant to know our future. We're not meant to have everything figured out. And I think it's really great to just shut up and listen. And even, at, you know, in my 40s, it's still a really good idea for me to occasionally just shut up and listen. Because you never know what might trigger something around you to say, hey, you know what? That resonates with me. I would have, you know probably been a lot further along than I am now had I done that a lot sooner and not had something, you know, really, unfortunately, really unpleasant happen to me or that I had inflicted upon myself. So yeah, just shut up and listen. <laughs> what are you most proud of? Um, the thing that I am most proud of in the world is keeping in contact with people who I met so many years ago, or it's such fleeting moments, you know, that I may have worked with them or maybe been a customer for a short period of time, and I still keep in contact with them. That tells me that, you know what, I must have made an impact somehow, some way to these people. If they, you know, go 20 years, you know, and however many miles and through whatever milestones in life, and they still reach out to say, hey, man, I'm I miss talking with you or I always think about that time when, you know, we did the, that's incredible to me knowing that I made an impact when I was told my whole life growing up that you're not going to amount to anything, maybe in their eyes of success, but the definition of making an impact on people, I know it's happened. I'm so proud of that. You know, at times you felt insecure, but not having a degree, right? When was the point that you got over that where you're like, I don't need it. I'm going to own myself. I'm just as qualified. And you really honed in on the fact that you had that talent. Yeah. So I think the biggest driving force for me was after, I mean, after just being told so many times you can't, what I did was I redefined my own happiness. And I said, you know what? I love what I do and I'm good at it. Damn it. You know, it's, it's been shown that I'm good at what I do. Once I acknowledge that I don't need anybody else to define what a successful career looks like for me. That was all that mattered. Nothing else stopped me at that point. That was what gave me the confidence to apply for these positions that I probably had no business applying to. But realizing that I've got something in me that, number one, wants to keep learning and wants to keep adding to. And I know that it's going to be you know, reciprocal. So I'm going to be able to teach things to other people. And if that's just something as simple as learning how to talk to and listen to other people and engage things from them, I'm happy with that. And I'm happy to just, you know, sit in a room with people and, and just tell them, hey, here's how to actually listen to people and get the information and do something with it. You've obviously learned a lot. You've gone through everything and your, your story is so inspirational. What are your next goals? My plan is to keep reaching out to people, helping them push through their barriers. So my own personal career goals, I feel like I met them, right? I feel like my life is full right now and I'm very happy with where it's at. I love the work that I do. So what I want to do more than anything is help other people achieve that. Other people who maybe are standing in their own way and saying, oh, well, you know, I barely finished high school, you know, or I'm working as a janitor, I'm working as, you know, a waitress, or I'm working, whatever the case may be. I want them to realize their potential. And I'm hoping that I can keep getting that message out there that, yeah, you know what, this kid who was, you know, headed down an ugly path for a long time, 
I'm smiling every day and I have no reason not to, because I know that everybody who told me, you know, oh, drop out or don't even bother trying to, I can you know, give them the giant proverbial middle finger and say, you know, F you, I did it anyhow. And it's very not HR of me to say that, but it, it's the reality is that you don't have to meet anybody else's standards of success. You define what success is for you. And once you've hit that, I don't have any desire to be the VP or the exec of some major corporation. That's not who I am. I want to make an impact every day with people, you know, down at the front line, working with them and knowing that my door is open. If something's not going on, or if you just need to come talking about how your cat threw up on your shoes at home and you're really frustrated today, come do it. I want to have those conversations and I want to be able to talk human to human with people. And if I can help other people learn how to do that, my job is done. I mean, that's amazing. I remember I was, you know, I participated in a lot of networking events and stuff. And there was a startup founder speaking and she was saying how, you know, an employee came up to her and talking about, and she was like, you know, these people are telling me about their life issues. She's like, I got to worry about the business. I got to worry about the payroll and all that stuff. And it just kind of made me, it was a big turnoff. The, the fact is that their problems are just as real, right? They have their own lives. They have their own things. And your business does not need to be their life goal, right? Your business is your life goal, which is okay. But, you know, they're there to provide, you know, their value and expertise and support them. You know, why kind of dismiss them? So it's, it's good to see that there are people like you, you know, who are advocating for others and who are making, you know, who truly care. Because like you said, when people realize that people care about them, they care about the company. It's, you know, it's kind of funny how that works. Absolutely. You you said it exactly, right? Because the other thing to you would say, oh, well, leave your personal life at home or leave your, you know, feelings at the door. No. And, and you're unrealistic to think that's how it's going to happen because we're all people and we have other things going on in the world and it's going to impact what you're doing at work. You know, you can't just say up, oh, it's, you know, 9 a.m. or whatever. I got to turn off my emotions. Come on. You're, you're living in fantasy and I have to think that. So, you know what? I would much rather have my door open so someone can come in for 10 minutes and talk to me about whatever it is going on. Get it off the chest say, all right, you know what? Now I can go tackle what I need to. And then the fact is you bring yourself to work and it doesn't, as much as you want to forget about everything, it's going to impact. And then sometimes you need some time off, right? Because the executive bring the things to work, right? Whether they have an argument with their significant other or things didn't go their way, they take it out. You can see that some people have different ways of treating people depending on oh, how yeah. things go. So <laughs> it's it's not as easy. And the fact is, the once we acknowledge it, it makes a lot more sense. I really want to thank you for sharing your experience. It's wonderful just because it's like, look, if you could do it, right, you have the background that's like hated, right? You don't have a degree. You have something, a blemish on your record. But, you know, you kind of realize that doesn't define you. And I want my listeners to know that just because you have made this mistake, yes, it's going to be harder. But when you do find an opportunity, just make sure to own it and show them, right? Because you make it easier for other people who have faced those issues. That's exactly it. That's, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's yeah. Do you still go? Do you still go to the diner? <laughs> well, it's back in Chicago. I'm in Fort Lauderdale now, but uh, I actually, I've gone back for family weddings and things of that nature. Yeah. I still keep in contact with entire family, amazing people. They, they will always be my family and they know that too. So that's amazing. So how would people support you? Is there anything you want to promote? Um, you know what, honestly, the, the best thing you can do is keep sharing the message that I've tried to share, you know, take time to listen to people, shut up and listen. If you yourself have questions or need someone to talk to, or you're in a situation similar to what I've been through, reach out to me. You know, I'm happy to take a look over resumes. I'm happy to give any career feedback that I might be able to. You feel free to reach out to me. You can always look me up on LinkedIn. It's a quick, easy way. I pretty much live on their recruiter life, right? You can reach out to me via email at Matthew Higgins CPRW at gmail.com. That's, you know, for my resume writing. If you have questions about that, you know, I'm happy to work with anybody, you know, just say, you're not doing this alone. And, you know, like I said, F anybody else who says you can't do it because I'm here to tell you you can because I did too.
Thank you, Matthew. Thank you so much for your time. I know that you're only going up from here. You're only impacting more people and you're truly making a difference. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being vulnerable and open. And I look forward to, you know, whoever reaches out to you. Awesome. I appreciate it. And everybody keep being who you are, authenticity over everything else. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree. No problem, any problem we can solve LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, yeah